Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Uh, hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. Uh, say hi to Charles. Say hi, Charles. Hi, Charles. <laughs> uh, Charles, uh, what what movie are we discussing today? We're going to break the first and second rule and talk about Fight Club. Yes. this is our. I think this is our first Fincher film. I'm really excited. Yes. Oh, well, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm the first Fincher film because he is my favorite director. So. Oh, that's awesome. He, he's definitely one of my absolute favorite directors. So I was really excited that you like this film. Um, and I guess we'll just kind of dive into it, learn a little bit about you and just kind of about uh, how you saw this film and what drew you to it. Um, so, yeah, to start off, uh, this movie came out, was it 1999? Oh, uh, 99. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. 1999. Okay, I wanted to make sure. I'm like 70s, <laughs> late 90s. I, I, that, I think from like, I'm going to say 97 to like 2001 is when almost all my favorite movies were. So <laughs> sometimes I get some of the years mixed up. But yeah, 1999. Perfect. Um, yep. So did you see this movie in theaters? I did. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, well, I guess it goes without saying if you're, if you're, Listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, major spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is not spoiler free. Go see yeah. this movie first, then come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the original trailer, because I actually saw the original trailer. I think it was when I went and saw The Matrix. I don't remember if that was the same timeline. but it's, um, it's around the same time, because I know I have a fact a little bit later about Columbine, and that kind of, it, it's in that era, around that time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Regardless, I did see the trailer at the movie theater, and and the trailer gives there there's nothing that indicates what this movie actually is about from the original trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the friend that I saw the movie with when we saw the trailer, like, oh, that looks good. Looks like a funny comedy. Looks about guys who are just kind of fed up and they just start fighting each other and they they form a fight club. And that's what I thought the movie was about. So. Um, yeah, it was a little shocking when we got in there, and and the movie was infinitely better than I thought it was going to be. It was it, it wasn't at all what I expected it to be, but it was much more and much better than what yeah. I anticipated. So I totally agree. I when uh, I did not see this movie in theaters because, like you said, the trailer showed something that for me personally I just wasn't interested in. I wasn't a big action movie goer at the time. Um, and I have a close friend that she is a big action movie buff. She loves like Die Hard and just movies like that. So when she recommends a movie to me, I'm always kind of like, oh, I don't know. You know, so she was telling me, hey, I just saw this movie Fight Club. You've got to see it. It's so good. 
and I told her, I, I don't want to see a movie with two guys beating each other up. Like, I don't care. And she goes, okay, well, I'm going to ruin the entire movie for you. If I tell you what this movie's about, is that okay? And I said, yeah, I don't care because I'm not going to see it. So she told me what it was about, and I thought, yeah, now I want to see it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it worked in reverse for me, knowing what it was about. So I walked in this movie knowing exactly what it was going to be, and just sort of falling in love with it. I hadn't really seen anything like it before. I think I was at a pretty impressionable age when I saw it. I think I was probably 17 or 18. Okay. Yeah. So I was kind of like, <laughs> it kind of blew my little mind <laughs> at the yeah. time. So yeah, that's kind of the experience I had with it. Well, what was really funny about it was um, uh, it, it didn't do well in theaters. and uh, But the few people that I know that actually saw it it was really a polarizing movie. Mm -hmm. um, I, as a matter of fact, I think me and my friend I saw it with were really the only ones that liked it. Everybody that I discussed the movie with said, I, I hated the movie. I didn't like it. It, was, it wasn't what I expected. Maybe, again, partially because of the trailer. Uh, they didn't like the twist ending. They thought it was implausible. And I, I just I, – I couldn't believe it. And, yeah. and you know, it wasn't until later until I guess more people saw it when it came to the home market – that it, you know, it started finally picking up some following because uh, everybody I discussed it with at the time the movie was out said they, they hated it. Yeah, so. it definitely picked up steam once it hit DVD for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And I remember I had like the, uh, <coughs> I was looking at pictures of the, of, the, um, of the movie on IMDb and I had that like two disc set that was like wrapped in like, it looked like brown paper. Do you remember that? Right. Like, yeah. 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 And I would watch it like all the time and watch, you know, the, the, commentary the extras i just like could not get enough of it yeah um was a really big fan so with that being said uh i think the next thing i'm going to do is just read my really quick synopsis here and okay. then i'm not going to go into too much detail because we'll, we'll talk about the movie and the different scenes that we sure. like as we go on uh so here it is fight club an insomniac office worker looking for a way to change his life crosses paths with a devil may care soap maker forming an underground fight club that evolves into something much much more Kind yep. of jumping ahead a little bit there because I feel like him forming that Fight Club is part of this, you know, his involvement. But we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> at this part of the show, I usually like to start off with a couple of quick facts, and so I'm going to say just a couple here, and just feel free to jump in and comment on them, or if you have a fact that you want to kind of insert here, you can too. Um, okay. Kind of speaking back to what you were talking about earlier, when this movie was finished. Uh, studio execs were pretty baffled by how they were going to market this movie. Um, and Fincher actually wanted to do a unique marketing campaign that would kind of mirror the film's theme of anti-commercialism. But uh, they were already worried about the backlash, and we'll kind of get into why a little bit later. But the Fox execs refused to go with Fincher's idea. And you can find Fincher's original trailers that he wanted to put in the movie um, on the disc. But mm -hmm. instead, they kind of launched a campaign which was focusing on Brad Pitt in the movie and concentrating on the fighting, which, as you know, when you watch the movie, is a pretty minor part of the film itself. Right. So I think it really speaks to what you're talking about. Um, it, it was marketed in a way that it wasn't hitting its target audience because it sounds like Fox didn't know what the target audience was for this movie. So they just weren't sure what to do with it. And uh, Fincher was really upset when he saw ads running during like WWE and UFC programming. He was like, what? You know, this is not what this movie's about. And it's 
not aimed at these people, they're not going to like this movie if they see these ads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. I was trying to remember that earlier because I was telling somebody else about this movie and I said that I was like, I remember the marketing being just so off for this movie. And I always kind of wondered what the story behind that was. It kind of makes sense going back to it. Yeah. Uh, the only marketing I actually saw, because I don't remember a whole lot of the marketing other than the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, obviously from, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've actually seen the trailer at all. I know you've seen the movie already, but if you've gone back and watched the original trailer, um, it, 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 it doesn't allude to what the movie is about at all. Yeah, I mean it, it. It focuses solely, like I said, it almost looks like a comedy, um, kind of a, a, a well, Fight Club is a dark comedy, but in a different style, mm-hmm. um, without the psychological aspect. Right, exactly, and, and the, the the messages that that the movie tries to push. Uh, it yeah. just looks like two guys who are just, you know, hey, let's fight each other, business guys. So right. uh, yeah, and, and I read that what you were saying about the uh, the marketing that they were really confused how to market it. So. Not the first time that Fox no. has been. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's funny. It's kind of sounded like they just wanted to put people in seats and they were like, what's going to put people in seats? Uh, Brad Pitt. You know, like they just didn't know yeah. what they had. Um, and yeah, I'm sure sometimes it's hard to tell. Uh, I wanted to touch on and, you know, we'll kind of dive into some of these themes a little bit more in the movie. But one thing that really struck me when I was rewatching this and I've seen this movie like infinity times i, yeah, I even yeah. saw it in theaters again like a year or two ago at alamo so oh they, know, okay yeah yeah um so you know which was fun because i didn't actually get to see it in theaters the first time uh, so that was kind of a good experience but uh i noticed in the scene uh where the narrator's boss finds the rules of fight club on the photocopier and the narrator kind of points it out and how you know someone who's obviously dangerous might one day storm in the building, shooting everyone, you know, and he even talks about using a semi-automatic weapon. Right. Well, uh, when they originally, the early test screenings of the film, that got really big laughs. But then there were later screenings that happened uh, after the Columbine incident. Right. And that, of course, evoked no laughter whatsoever and scored really poorly with audiences. You know, they felt like it was in bad taste. Um, right. it, it prompted the studio to actually ask Fincher to cut the scene altogether. Uh, and Fincher considered doing that, but he said the scene leads into the pivotal Marla breast cancer scene. So mm-hmm. he decided that it couldn't be cut. And in a way, I'm glad he didn't cut it because it is controversial, but I just feel like there's a lot of, you know, dark themes that are ex- explored in this movie that ask bigger questions. And I feel like taking that out kind of takes away from that a little bit. Just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, well, they actually he actually discusses that on the commentary track. Uh, they actually did multiple takes of that screen of that uh, scene. Mm. And uh, the, the first shot, the first take they did of it was the one they ultimately ended up using. Uh, they said that uh, they actually did a, a take where uh, Edward Norton's character is, uh, the narrator is, um, comes across even more threatening and more dark. Like, not that kind of... It's not joking, but you know, it's not. It's not like a real serious. The one from the movie, you know, he's. You can kind of tell he's just kind of being sarcastic. Right. But uh, but the the second take that they did, or multiple uh, takes after that, they they wanted him to play it up real dark and and very serious and very threatening. And that was actually after, the, or during the Columbine, they decided to take that out and use the use the first 
first take that they took where it was more sarcastic to, to tone it down. Yeah. Because, like you said, because he didn't want to take that out of the, you know, it, it leads into the next scene. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm a big believer in, you know, these characters are in a certain world that you're building, and even if that something taboo or, you know, something that's social commentary a little bit touches on reality, I think that as long as it fits in the tone of the story, I don't think it should be removed. And, I mean, during that time, we were really sensitive. I remember, I mean, even The Matrix had a a little bit of blowback Mm -hmm. after Columbine happened. It's like, instead of seeing the way that these things are actually related, you know, people choose to see like, oh, they saw this movie and did that, even though it came out around the exact same time. So it's just sort of commentate, you know, commenting on it, but not emulating it. Anyway. Right. <laughs> I could dive into that. We can <laughs> talk right. about that for an hour, uh, but I won't. Uh, but yeah, so I just thought that was interesting because it, it's not that I forgot that that scene was in there because, again, I've seen this movie a ton of times and I was aware of the controversy. But I think just because of what's been happening lately, it did kind of – I did kind of go, ugh, you know, it, it hits you a little harder when you see it. Um, also wanted to say that, uh, Jim Ohl's first draft of the screenplay did not feature the narration at all, uh, that's in the book. And Fincher had this swiftly reinstated as he felt that much of the humor comes through in what the narrator says. And I really glad they did that because there's a couple other, uh, movies based on at least one other movie that I can think of based on Chuck Palahniuk, the author of the original book's work that doesn't have that narrator. And I think it really suffers if you don't have his voice because I really think his voice, you know, you need it in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine it without the narration. Yeah, that would at be all. bizarre. Yeah. That's very strange. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Uh, did you have a couple quick things that you wanted to toss in? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, this is, you said you've seen it multiple times and I've seen it multiple times. And this is a movie that really, even if you're not the type of person that has a favorite movie and sits down and, and watches, you know, numerous times, this is this is one that you you almost have to watch a second time, mm-hmm. uh, just because. And we'll, we'll get into the story, obviously, but there's so much that you miss in the first viewing. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you go through and it's, oh, this is a great movie, and then the the thing happens that we'll talk about. And uh, you go back and watch it the second time. You're like, oh, oh, you know, you, the whole movie. You're going, oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, yes. uh, it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 funny because it's a movie where you have an unreliable narrator, and you know that from the beginning, and yet it, yeah. it's just the hints are there, the signs are there visually in the script everywhere. And so, yeah, it's it's fun to go back and really hone in on them. I, I am. Uh, I, I hate. Uh, I hate surprises, so usually I, <laughs> I do. I, I usually will spoil a movie for myself just so I know how it goes out. How you know how it goes see the movie, and I know everything that's going to happen, so I'm not like at the end going ah. And I went in this one completely blind, and so uh, yeah, at that point I was just like, I mean, I actually sat there in the seat and I was confused. It, it didn't make any sense to me, but you know, that's we'll, again we'll get to that during the story part of it. So no, I love uh, that. I love that fact that you don't normally like surprises. I don't. I, I, I do wish. <laughs> I do wish I was surprised when I saw it in a way, but then I don't think I would have watched it. I was pretty stubborn at the time. Stubborn teen, I guess. <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the writer of the book that this movie's based on? Uh, have you read Fight Club? I have, uh, and this is actually one of the rare instances where I enjoyed the movie more than the book. Well, I think the author actually agrees with you. He said he yeah. liked the movie better. 
Yeah, um, and and I read Fight Club, and there are obviously a lot of parallels. Uh, a lot of stuff in the movie is in the book, but uh, the changes that were made for the movie, I think, uh, make the story better. Um, I and 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 I I don't remember much of the book, uh, honestly. And I read the book uh, maybe just two or three years ago. Um, I don't remember the differences between the book and the movie. Um, I do remember that uh, uh, Tyler was a um, much more threatening, uh, nihilistic character in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so charismatic as he is in the movie. Um, but uh, I just, again, yeah, I don't remember much beyond that. <laughs> oh, no worries. So, I actually <clears throat> haven't read Fight Club. I've read some of his other novels, though. I read uh, Invisible Monster mm-hmm. and uh, I read Choke. Okay. Um, and I didn't read Fight Club because of what, what you're saying, because I had heard that the author thought the movie was better, and so for some reason I've just kind of always avoided it. But I liked the style and the tone of the narrator in the movie, so it made me go back and want to read his his book. And pretty much – have you read any of his other books too? I haven't. I've always wanted to read Choke because – So good. And I, and I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, was it Choke that was the movie or was it Invisible Monster? I can't remember which – uh, I don't know if there's an invisible monster movie. There's definitely a choke movie okay, with so, uh, Sam Rockwell. Yes, that was mm-hmm. the one. Yes, and I wanted to go back and read that before I saw the movie, and I've, I've done neither. But um, uh, but Fight Club is the only one of his I read. I didn't even know that the, it was based on a book when I went and saw the movie. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Um, well, for choke, I will say kind of what I was alluding to earlier. That that movie doesn't have narration, and I think it suffers from it because if you read the book, it's really similar to Fight Club. It's got that repetition, kind of like Fight Club does with the uh, you know Jack's heart, Jack's spleen, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That's and it's got that sort of scattered style, and there's just a lot going on in the main character's head that you don't see in the movie. And I think Sam Rockwell does an amazing job with what he has, what he's given. <laughs> But it's not as good as the book, mm. so I think that's a that you know is a flaw to it. And Invisible Monster is bananas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I liked it. It you'd have to read it. It's pretty. It's if you think Fight Club is taking things a little far, that movie or that book really takes things further. But oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I haven't read any of his newer stuff. I kind of I don't know. It's kind of like once I got a sense for his style, I kind of dropped off a little bit. But mm. I've always been curious to go back and read some more of his works. Hmm. But uh, let's. He, oh, he is a little dark. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's safe to say. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about your favorite director ever, David Fincher. Um, he has a style. I mean, there, you know, there's there's certain directors that uh, uh, you you can you can start a movie and go and sit down and not know who directed it and go, okay, this is you know this is so and so. He's one of those, and uh, if you look at his filmography, um, he he doesn't do happy movies. Right, uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, Social Network would be the closest, and I mean, it by no means was a you know cheerful, happy movie. Um, no. I, I don't. I mean, I guess I do like dark films, um, but uh, his particular style is is is, is just great. Um, you sent me a, a link earlier today, and uh, I never really paid attention. I always just pay attention to the dialogue and cinematography. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, one of his, uh, I guess, trademarks is 
is the still camera. Mm-hmm. And um, that's great. I, I love that movies. I love I love long tracking shots, and I Me love too. Steadicam. Uh, any movie where there's a lot of shakiness or that home camera feel is just is not. Yeah, I don't care for that. Me neither. I like yeah. yeah. I like to be able to to look at a a non moving scene so I can take in everything and not have to you know keep adjusting my eyes because the camera's moving. I agree, I, and yeah, I like to in that <laughs> clip that I sent you how. They track, I, I guess, not having a film degree, not having a, uh, a big vocabulary in terms of, of filmmaking. So that, that clip really helped me understand what it is I like so much about his style, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. specifically the tracking the character's movements as they move through a scene to where it feels natural and sort of immerses you in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's something he does really well. And, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of it. And I agree with you. I'm not crazy about shaky cam. (laughs) I just don't feel like I'd rather see something that I I guess I view as artistic, but that could just be because of the other directors that I like, you know, sort of built my own idea of what I want to see in a movie. And and Fincher really gives me that. Right. Uh, And he's real good with color too. Uh, Most Mm -hmm. of his movies are, are washed out. I mean, they have that, that dark look, you know, Mm -hmm. washed out look, but, what he does is he takes the the important things, the things that need detail or or a specific scene that's a different tone from the rest of the movie, and he he brings that color out. So that's another uh, trick where you know you you know that without hearing the dialogue, you know this is a this is supposed to be a more lighthearted scene or this is a more um, comforting scene or something along those lines. Um, one scene in particular I can think of is is uh, in uh, seven when they finally get into the killer's uh, apartment. Mm-hmm. All the all the red. There was so much bright red from the the lights, and uh, everything else yeah. in the apartment was washed out except for that really bright red. And uh, that just it's a great it, it's a great effect. And and his dialogue is is excellent too. And you know that's, that's screenwriter too, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just the way he he moves the dialogue, it never feels um, phony or forced or. Uh, I don't know that it feels natural necessary just because we're looking at a film, but it it doesn't feel like it's forced down your throat. It feels like two people talking. So Right. The most impressive being in the social <coughs> network for me, because in the yeah. social network, I mean, that movie should be boring. It is, you know, people talking in a conference room mostly. Right. But it is so exciting and so well done. I mean, when I heard that there was a movie about Facebook, I didn't want to see it. When I heard he was directing, I wanted to see it more. And then when I saw it, I was pretty blown away by it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a movie about Facebook. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound interesting I don't, at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Um, I, I don't know. If there's any movie of his that I didn't like, with the exception of Alien Three, but I can't really fault him for that because, <laughs> again, that was Fox coming in and mucking things up, and he came. You know, he came in the last second, and did his best to try and salvage that mess. So, sure. I don't, I don't really consider that a David Fincher film. It's just he has his name attached to it. So, No. Uh, I think the only other one that I'm kind of iffy on is I'm uh, not sure how I feel about Panic Room. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Um, I remember liking it. I mean, it didn't blow me away, but I was like, oh, that was okay. So um, I, I kinda, I'm kind of half-tempted because we, you know we've, we've been talking about this uh, podcast for a couple of weeks about going back and revisiting some of his older movies. Um, it's been a while since I've seen The Game, and it's yes. been a while since Panic so Room. <laughs> I remember Panic Room feeling more 
commercial. I don't know if that's the right word. No, I agree. And and I feel like in his movies, he often uses special effects in a really different way from other directors. Like he'll pump a lot of money into special effects, but then only use them in a couple scenes. Right. It really matters. And I feel like in the panic room, he was like, let's use a bunch of them. And it didn't really fit with the tone of the movie to me. It just, I don't know, there's something lacking about that. About that yeah. Movie. I'll have to go back and watch it. I only saw it the once in the theaters, and like I said, it didn't leave enough of an impression for me to go. You know, I got to see it again sometime. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, uh, he is. There are a lot of movies I really like, but consistently he is the one that puts out quality movies for me. Mm-hmm. Ones that I don't mind go back going back to see again. Yeah. After so. agree. <clears throat> Is this uh, is Fight Club your favorite of his? Uh yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's hard to pick this or Seven. I really like Seven. Well, oh yes, you know, yeah. <laughs> seven is um, man. Seven is just such a beat down emotionally. It is. It uh, is. you don't uh, <laughs> you don't walk away from that. You know, I don't know. That you walk away from Fight Club with a good feeling, but you know, there's kind of that <laughs> kind of that closure at the end. Yeah, you're uh, right. But man, Seven's just like, uh, like, oh well, the world is trash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I just like uh, the visuals in that movie. I like yeah. the you know, um, I like the twists. I like the turns. Um, it's kind of funny because when you talk to younger people that didn't, I guess, grow up with that as part of their movie vocabulary, uh, a lot of younger people don't really think seven is that impressive because they live in a world with Dexter and Hannibal, the show. And like, they're just like more of this. And I'm like, no, before this movie, I don't think we even had CSI. Like it, it it was a huge game changer at the time. So you have to kind of look at it in that context. But I've always been surprised when I've talked to people that are younger that do not like it. And I'm like, what? You're crazy. crazy. That is Um, crazy. Would you think of, have you been watching Mindhunter? I just finished it um, a couple of nights ago, um, and I had no idea going in that I'd I'd heard the the, the trailers on the radio and seen Mm -hmm. a couple of billboards, and I had no idea it was a Fincher um, product. And uh, as soon as I started it up, and it says directed by David Fincher, I was like, ah, I love it. (laughs) And I didn't see the first episode. This is going to be the best show on TV. Um, No, but it was really good. it was uh, obviously, you know, it's it's about serial killers, which is not exactly a lighthearted subject. But I do feel that it was more, it was less dark than than a lot of his movies. Um, mm-hmm. Not not that there's anything wrong with that. It just uh, it, it it had a different feel, but it was still fantastic. Uh, really loved it. Um, and it's it's interesting that it's it's you know based on a true story, yeah. almost. Um, I don't want to say it's an extension of Zodiac, but like... Uh, no, but there's definitely a connection there. Right. And just right. visual... Like, I didn't know that it was a Fincher product when I started watching it, but I just was thinking while I was watching it, I was like, man, this is really beautiful for a cop drama. And I'm a huge fan of gritty crime cop dramas. <laughs> I watch yeah. a lot of them. And I'm always really impressed when they're... This dark color palette, but still visually so 
like stimulating and interesting and mm-hmm. like the, the characters and I tend to like, you know, I'm not really into serial killers per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of turns me off to some, some things that focus too much on them, but I like this angle where they're focusing on the detectives and psychology. Right. Um, and I just thought, man, this is really good. And then when I saw Fincher's name, I went, Oh, well, of course now everything <laughs> is lining up here <laughs> Yeah, because it just has a lot of the elements that he gravitates towards. Right. And it kind of took me by surprise too, because this is another, this is another marketing thing, almost like fight club where I, I was expecting one thing. You got something else entirely. I, I don't care for like the CSI shows and stuff. They me just, either. they don't interest me. And so that's the vibe I was getting off of the advertising coming same, out. Same, same. I, I thought it was going to be like criminal <laughs> minds and I'm like, oh, right. that shows like borderline cartoonish. I just can't right. get into it. Um, but, but this movie is so different from that. Yeah. If yeah. you like this show, you, you might also like Manhunter if you've seen that about yeah. the Unabomber. Oh, it's no, got... yeah. I've seen the, uh, I've seen the, uh, some advertiser for that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, that one's uh... pretty stylistic as well. And it, 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 it's very interesting. It's pretty good. It's pretty Is short. that a, is that a Netflix uh, uh, I think it was series? originally on Discovery Channel, but you can okay. you can watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. It has like okay. almost the same name, so it's like kind of confusing. But it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just about the Unabomber, which I thought was interesting because when that happened, I don't feel like I had a really good grasp of what was yeah. going on because I was too young. So it's pretty good. Uh, tangent, but anyway, let's let's kind of dive into some of the actors in this movie. It, the first guy that I have that I want to talk about is Edward Norton. Okay. Um, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I like Edward Norton. Um, I, I don't know that he's one of my go-to actors. Um, although I will admit that he is, he is an excellent actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. There's just something about him. It's like, oh, it's Edward Norton. Um, but everything I've ever seen him in, I've liked. It's just, again, he's not one of my go-tos. Um, but he has an excellent range. Uh, you know, American History X. Love uh, he it. was yeah. crazy in that movie. Uh, and and uh, so he does have a good range. Just, I, you know, there's just, it's, it's Edward Norton to me. <laughs> I know. I feel like there was a time period, though, when he was in, like, every movie. And it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he he's great in American History X. Uh, I guess more recently, I liked him in Birdman and in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, See, and I saw both of those movies, and I'd forgotten that he was in them. I, and both of those yeah, movies are he, excellent. He's not both a huge part movies. in either one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'd forgotten he was in both of them. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of true. Like I was looking <clears throat> at his uh, filmography on IMDb, and I'm like, what? What happened to him? Like he's kind of faded <laughs> away. <laughs> like what happened? Maybe all his like blow ups or whatever that. He yeah, <laughs> I, I I have heard that he's you know incredibly difficult to work with. Apparently, you know, I've, I've over. Uh, on set reports and things, you know, little rumors. I've always heard that he is very uh, specific on what he works, you know, how he works and what he works on. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah, a little volatile, which I guess really works for him in this movie. I yeah, think he's like yeah. perfectly <laughs> casted. Like I was listening, I was watching a little bit of the commentary uh, before we started filming, and David Fincher was saying like he just can't believe how perfect he is for this part, and like even the bags under his eyes are perfect. He looks yeah. tired, like, um, and I even kind of felt like 
sort of going back to when we were talking about Mindhunter, I felt like the main character, like if that if the if that show had been made back then, like they might have put Edward Norton in that role, like as a detective. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He just kind yeah. of he's so I don't know, maybe because of this movie, he's just so fincher to me now. And it's like I think he's at his best in roles like this. Um Yeah. I just thought he did a really good job. And, and when this movie came out I thought, oh, he's gonna be like my favorite actor forever. But you're kinda <laughs> right. He kinda just <laughs> faded away a little bit. Yeah. Um go ahead. Nope. That, oh, I'm that's a, just okay. agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh let's talk a little bit about Brad Pitt then. Uh Brad Pitt's one of those actors that I mean, I think at one time we all kind of thought he would just play movies like he would just be in movies like Seven Years in Tibet and what was that movie? Is it Changes of the Fall or something of the Fall? Oh, Legends of the Legends Fall. Of Legends of the Fall. Of the fall. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like I kind of think we all thought that's his range. Yeah. But he's just he's really good, and you know my favorite films that he's been in are you know this movie Seven. Love him in 12 Monkeys. Uh, yeah. Amazing <laughs> in that movie. Uh, Snatch. Um, I liked him in Interview with the Vampire, too, but that's a little more, you know, <laughs> pretty boy. But it's just amazing yeah. the roles that he's been able to get that uh, don't box him into just being like, you know, the your standard. Boy. Yeah, your standard pretty the, boy. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I have a bit of a man crush on, on Brad Pitt. So. <laughs> I think after this movie, every guy did. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was seven and then this. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, man, cause I'd seen him in, uh, I, my timeline might be a little jacked up here, but oh, no let's the fall was before that. And I was like, eh. and then there was that, um, Thelma and Louise probably. Oh, no, he had such a, uh, meet Joe black. Was that what it was? Oh Where yeah. He was, I remember that movie. <laughs> and I was like, uh, pretty boy. And so it was he was always playing the the you know the the handsome handsome young guy parts and I was like eh. and then uh, and then I saw seven and I think it was twelve monkeys before this one I can't remember I can't remember but, that's like one of my favorite films ever and I, yeah it's definitely on my list of I could talk about that movie all day let me look it up. <laughs> I just I love him in that movie so much because he it's such was, a stretch <laughs> yeah he was so crazy in that movie and I was like wow man this guy can act. And then, uh, and then seven came out. And I was like, "Oh man, this is awesome!" And he kind of played the the dippy, good looking guy for for yeah. You know, we can go into seven for hours. I could I could talk about the movie forever too. But for for the first half of the movie, he kind of came across as the dippy do gooder kind of character. Mm-hmm. And then and then you know it kind of got real. And, and then he had that kind of character. I don't want to say flip, but it's like he realized things were you know a little bit more serious than he was taking it and, mm-hmm. and he had that kind of development and you know and every movie since then he's had more he still had the mr and mrs smith roles and he's had the uh, uh what was that other movie i was just thinking of anyway characters where he plays kind of the you know the, the, the good looking guy mm-hmm. uh but uh, yeah i he's at his best to me when he's playing a character that seems natural to him mm-hmm. a little unhinged <laughs> yeah i don't think the pretty boy roles are natural for him so when you kind of just let him be i don't want to say himself but you yeah, kind of unhinged like you said uh, those are excellent parts for him uh or or where he gets to play like in uh, uh oceans 11 where he just kind of gets to kind of play the goofy buddy mm-hmm. uh, it, to me he strikes me as the kind of guy you could go have a beer with and just you know just kind of just goof around 
Yeah, he's very so. charming and accessible. I think that that, yeah. you know, he doesn't just look like a model actor that would never speak to you or something. Right. And I think, right. like you said, he's he's at his best when he's being a little more natural. I feel like in all his movies now, he's always eating. Like, that seems to be his thing now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, love him in this film. I, it's pretty amazing to me what he does with the Tyler Durden character yeah, and the way that he plays off Edward Norton. It's very believable because they are such opposites right. and he's, he's so convincingly like where you like him a lot in the beginning of the movie. And then you, the audience start to kind of turn on him when Edward Norton does. I think that that transition feels, it doesn't feel forced. It feels real. Right. He, he displays enough instability to where you're starting to question like why am i following this guy yeah why am i going down this path with him and why is edward right. orton yeah i totally <laughs> agree well the last actor that i have on here and we can dive into the other guys too but um the last person i wanted to talk about was helena bottom carter uh because to, for me th this is like my favorite thing she's ever been in um, this is like pre Tim Burton. <laughs> She's in every right. Tim Burton movie with crazy hair. Like she has crazy right. hair in this movie, but, uh, <laughs> right. I feel well, like it's a more, uh, you know, a role that she fleshes out a little more than in some of her other films. Yeah. I, I joke. And, 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 uh, this by far is my favorite role of hers as well. And, and I've seen most of the movies she's in, you know, the Harry Potter and series and, uh, Alice in Wonderland and whatnot. But at the time, uh, she makes crazy look attractive. Uh, yeah. I, I know that sounds <laughs> that sounds bad. No, she's but, uh, your standard Manny Pixie dream girl. Right in this and, and in this movie only. It, it right. uh, there's never been another movie where I've been like, oh, you know, Helena Bonham Carter. She looks great in this, but in this one, I was like, wow, she's you know, she's she's selling crazy. She's I don't know. Yeah, no, maybe I that agree. sounds bad. No, no, I think it's <laughs> intentional. You know, like Fincher was mentioning that. She's really pretty, and her face was very symmetrical, and they were trying to find ways to make her look a little crazier. Right. Uh, and in a lot of her other roles, like, you know, Bell Bellatrix Estrange and Harry Potter or, you know, Sweeney Todd or Alice, they're not playing up sex appeal. So she's an attractive person, but they're sort of it's sort of buried under crazy, you know? Right. <laughs> so like right. in this movie, there's more of a balance. I mean, we have to find her attractive because Edward Norton does. And so I think she plays that up more in this movie than in any other film. And, and does an amazing American accent. Yes. It's so believable and so natural. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she just seems like, I think a lot of it too is just her dialogue, but it seems like somebody, you know, like I think one of my favorite scenes with her in the whole movie is when Edward Norton is telling her off and she just, you know, takes the wind out of his sails by just saying, I saw you practicing this little speech. <laughs> yeah. I think that part is so good because that's like, I, I think like a lot of people watching the movie, I mean, you're meant to side with Edward Norton and, and connect with him. And it's just such a scary thought. He's doing something so crazy and he meets this other crazy person that he's attracted to. And then she's just so like biting into the point like i can't imagine getting up the nerve to talk to someone like that and for them to just turn around and go i saw you practicing this <laughs> like, yeah it's perfect and and that particular character is it's funny because you this is another one of those instances where you have to go back and see the movie a second time you, you go through the movie and you're like i don't i don't really like that character she's annoying mm -hmm. and she just seems like she's just being she's fighting just to fight yeah, she's and combative, you, and she's... Yeah, and yeah. then you see it the second time, and you're like, oh, that poor woman. 
Right. I mean, she's she. You'd have to be a little imbalanced to put up with <laughs> Tyler yeah. in this movie, but yeah. Um, yeah, you, you realize rewatching it that the fault is completely on him and that he's sort yeah. of projecting because he has these issues with his mom, I guess, and his dad. And he projects those issues onto, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's character and onto her. So he's putting all this animosity on her that she doesn't deserve. And when right. you watch the movie again, you really see that. Yep. Yep. So let's uh, let's kind of dive into some of your favorite scenes. We can go chronologically if you want, or you can just pick random favorite scenes that you want to talk about um i think uh favorite scenes gosh uh (laughs) that's a hard one for this movie um it is isn't it (laughs) it's all good yeah i uh i do like the i think the um uh probably one of my first favorite scenes is the uh the them talking in the bar when mm-hmm. right after uh, the narrator's uh, apartment explodes, and uh, they go to the bar and they're talking and they're just talking about consumerism and what it's to be, what it is to be a man these days, and this, that, and the other, and just the talk between the two of them. Uh, that was actually uh, they 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 filmed several hours of them talking, yeah, and just kind of piecemeal, you know, the good parts out of it. So a lot of that was ad lib, just them just kind of kind of going back and forth. Right. Yeah. When I was watching the behind the scenes, David Fincher was thinking, well, how do we get, you know, Brad Pitt's character to the next level? How do we introduce this next concept with Fight Club and just how, you know, how how can he become the like cult leader he ends up being at the end of the movie? You know, there's got to be sort of a, a conversation between the two of them that the audience can understand that gets them there. And that scene is so good because of that. It's very natural, like you said, because they filmed so many takes and they kind of ablived a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's just really good because Brad Pitt sounds right because he touches on so many things that bother, I think, all right. of us. And I think right. especially like when I saw this movie and I was, like I said, a teenager, you know, I was about to leave high school and get a real job. And I was going through that transition of like, oh, I'm not going to be <laughs> famous and rich, you know? Yeah. That, that disillusionment that you get when you grow up. And this whole movie is kind of about Edward Norton's character growing up and going through those rough growing pains. It's kind of coming of age at 30, which is pretty real these days. Um, and so, <laughs> so he's kind of going through that, and that's like one of the first things you go through and you start turning around and getting angry at everything in your life that you feel like is contributing to why you're not getting to you know, to be your real self as you perceive it. Um, even though you don't even know what that is at the time. Right. And, uh, well, and yeah, I think it's a really good scene. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I think that's why the movie resonated so much with me when I saw it, because I was, let me think what that was, I was 26 mm-hmm. and, uh, still hadn't done anything with my life. I was working retail and, uh, you know, just living out of apartment and, uh, <clears throat> all this, you know, all this, all this angst about, you know, I haven't done anything with my life, and what am I doing, and I don't know, and and you know, here comes this movie about basically all that, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh man, yeah, uh, and, and and the first half of that movie just hit me, you know, just just like I said, just resonated with me so hard at the time. Yeah, it's and like very upsetting, <laughs> like when they talk yeah. about like you know, you don't really <clears throat> end up. He says, you know, you don't, uh, you don't 
live for what is it you don't choose the things in your apartment they choose you yeah yeah all that stuff is is painful to hear at that age yeah yeah Yeah, and then of course the movie goes off the rails and i was like that never mind but (laughs) (laughs) and i think yeah i think it's meant to to where you're like uh and i think we talked a, a little bit about before we started recording you're like well can i go into some of these themes and talk about them or right will that come off as offensive and i i think that there's a few different fans of this movie and somebody in in our um in our little movie group that we have on facebook uh tim was saying that he kind of has uh a bad taste in his mouth of this movie not because of the movie itself but because of some of the fans because he remembered like you know dude bros in college just oh, loving yeah. this movie like there's a complete misreading you could get walking away yeah, from this movie sure. uh that that you're like watch it and you're like i'm gonna start my own fight club which I don't know how you could watch this entire movie and come to that conclusion, but um, some do because it, well, it happened after the movie. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I remember some guys that I was working with, like, hey, yeah, let's do that. Let's start an underground fight club. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it didn't work out real well in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, that yeah. guy died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot in this movie for, for Edward Norton to be convinced and for the audience to be convinced and then for things to go off the rails, like you have to get people there. So a lot of the stuff that they touch on the movie, it's real and it, it, it's, it hurts, you know, it hits, it hits really close to home, but it's kind of funny going back and watching this now. Um, I'm kind of mad at Edward Norton. I'm like, look, you have this great apartment, all that awesome stuff. Like, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think as you get older, you go, you turn around and those things that you really hated, you really appreciate like, Hey, I like health benefits and a steady paycheck. Like, (laughs) you know what? That's the best I can hope for right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to, you know, and at the time we didn't have those things. So yeah, even more so now, like you said, as you get older, you're like, you know, those those are the things I want. I want a nice place with all the comforts and <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that scene leads into the the fight out in the parking lot, which between the two of them for the first time, that always cracks me up. That scene always cracks me up. I I swear they probably ad libbed that whole thing too because it looks like the two of them look like they're just having so much fun with that scene. Yeah. Where you know he's want you hit me as hard as I can or as hard as you can, and then uh, and then he hits him in the ear and he's like ah you know that. That scene always cracks me up because right after the fight, it's they're sitting on the curb sharing a beer, mm-hmm. and it's almost like a it's almost like a relationship at that point, you know. It definitely, definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely implied. Um, yeah. But yeah, that part where he hits him in the ear, uh, David Fincher told Edward Norton to hit him in the ear instead of. I think they were supposed to. He was supposed to hit him somewhere else, and he goes, "Hey, just hit him in the ear like really hard," <laughs> and he does it, and it. And, Brad Pitt's like, ow, because it hurt. And then uh, I I also read that there's that scene where he punches him in the stomach, where Edward Mm -hmm. Norton punches him, that, like, Brad Pitt is so, like, buff at that point that when he punches him in the stomach, it actually hurts Edward Norton's hand instead. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of playing on how shrimpy he is by comparison. Because I know he, like, lost weight for this movie, too. Like, he got smaller to be. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, uh, I hear he's actually a very tall actor. I think oh, he's okay. Like, I think Edward Norton's like six foot something. Oh, uh, yeah. I would not get that from this movie. Yeah. yeah he looks small. Um, let me see if, if I can Pro- That's probably like how they filmed he's it. Six foot exactly. Oh, wow. Six yeah, I would have said like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, yeah. yeah. And, and Brad Pitt's 5'11". So they're right about the same height. Gotcha. Um, so, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, even for a six foot guy, you, got, you have to think he was really scrawny. Yeah. Uh, and, and Brad Pitt was so ridiculously 
buff in that movie. I, yeah. I am with a <laughs> with a little bit of jealousy. Um, right, right. Yeah, he looks like perfect. I mean, you can definitely yeah. understand, you know, that part of the movie where he says, you know, um, I I look like you want to look, and I fuck you like you right. want to fuck. Like, right. I remember thinking. Even when I first saw it, I was like, "Man, that's gotta hurt somewhere." When you're Edward Norton, <laughs> like, yeah, because he really, because Brad Pitt really looks like that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's it's they're they're complete opposites. You know, Edward yeah. Norton's uh, skinny and pale, and Brad Pitt's you know all tan and and perfect, and and he's Brad Pitt, and yeah, so yeah, pretty much, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you kind of mentioned the quote earlier. My favorite quote from that movie is the uh, the talk about where he's saying, uh, here, I'm just going to, I think I've got it here. Cool, yeah. Uh, we've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact and we're very, very pissed off. I mean, that line right there at that time was just like, just like a sucker punch to me. It was like, pow. That, mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it just that that nailed my feelings at that time. Uh, that you know, because as a young guy, I can't speak for all young guys. I should just speak for myself. As a young <laughs> guy myself, those were things I looked up to. You know, sure, the guys no, with I the flashy cars, did. the good-looking girlfriends, and the you know the the movie stars and the, the sports stars, and and uh, just you know. Wanting those things and knowing you're never going to get there was just like, ugh. So <laughs> I know it's it, isn't it? It's funny in retrospect, but when it's happening to you, it it really is painful because you're you. We were raised. I think you know I'm a little younger than you, but we're sort of in the same generation of I think people that were raised to think that way. Like I think everything that Brad Pitt's saying is true. I think it's still happening. I think kids are still raised that yeah. way, and yeah. it's like your parents are like, oh, you're so special and you're the most beautiful little girl in the world and you know you're so you're such a genius and then you get older and you're like oh my gosh i'm like not (laughs) (laughs) i i I work at suncoast no (laughs) this isn't where i thought my life was gonna go and you know i i feel like i got stuck in that age for a long time (laughs) honestly but when i watch this movie now too and he's like i'm a 30 year old boy uh that that part hurts too (laughs) i mean i i think i think i I'm just now starting to be an adult and I'm in my thirties. So <laughs> like okay. I'm right there with him. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, yeah, it was, I think, I think part of the reason that movie and did so much, did, did so much for me. I don't want to say it did so much for me cause it did, you know, obviously I, I don't think that way, but, uh, I, I think for those who saw it and got it, it's, it was the perfect movie for its time. Yeah, yeah. It was capturing it really, a moment, for yeah, sure. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I'm, I'm in my 40s, and uh, um, the 90s were a hard transition, uh, I think, uh, for me, maybe for some other guys. We'd been raised in that, um, that mentality of, of men being strong and not crying and uh, you know, you always, you know, you always show your strength and you're always the shoulder to cry on and there, you know, guys aren't sensitive and, and the nineties that really kind of started to shift. Yeah. And it's, it's a 180 degree way of thinking. So, uh, I, I think a lot of guys were, were confused, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the women, the girls that we were dating at the time started to, to, to take on that, that ideal too. You know, they didn't want the, 
the the jock in school anymore. They wanted the you know the guy that, that was more sensitive and and you know uh, didn't care so much about the flashy cars and the and the uh, the money and whatnot. And so uh, that that's I think that's part of what this movie is too is is the confusion for some of us guys that you know coming out of those two different distinct thoughts on what masculinity is. Oh, for sure. Uh, I I think it's played up like it's so funny, but the scenes where he goes to all those help groups and just so he's able to even emote at all. And right. the fact that he can't draw out any of his own emotions without playing off somebody else's much worse experience. Right. You know, which I feel like, you know, he's obviously struggling a lot with depression, but he can't even identify it. Right. Um, and he doesn't have a blueprint to work off of because they talk about his, you know, his absentee father um, and problems with his parents, and so he he doesn't know what what is he supposed to be mirroring, and I think that makes him really vulnerable to mm-hmm. the Tyler Durden character. It makes him really right. vulnerable to that whole concept. And I, I don't know. There, I think there's some pretty big ideas in this movie about terrorism and you know cults and you know different things like that. Those kind of people oh, yeah. are are really susceptible to that you know because they're looking for something to belong to whatever that is and this movie he he slowly creates i mean he doesn't know he's creating it but he creates that and gives it to himself um and then realizes that it's not what he wants (laughs) yeah and 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 at the same time taking you know with the space monkeys which ultimately what ended up being a cult you know yeah taking in more men who were like that men who couldn't connect and and found this group to be with and and it's it was it was brainwashing i mean that's you know when you talk about it you know it, essentially that's what it was that whole porch scene is, is brainwashing and project mayhem is brainwashing and it's just tyler getting these men to just go along with them just picking on really the, the vulnerability mm-hmm. that these guys had so um it was funny uh we, we talked briefly about um uh, I felt that there was some misogyny in the, in the movie because of, of uh, uh, how Marla was treated. But y- you said, and, and when I went back and thought about it, I think this is very true. Maybe not necessarily that there is misogyny in this movie, but that Tyler is just a predator to everybody. Yeah, I really think so. And <clears throat> and also, I think the main character, I, I, I guess we'll call Edward Norton Jack if we uh, all use sure. this interchangeably. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, Edward, when he's Jack, he's projecting with Marla. Like everything right. he hates about Marla is what he hates about himself, except that she's not hiding at all. You know, she's not pretending as much as he is because she goes to cancer meetings and smokes and is just really a little bit bolder. She giggles when that poor lady is telling her you know that she wants to have sex for the last time oh, just, right, right. you know she's so <laughs> insensitive and so callous right. and he is too because he says things like that he, that he's not connecting with people that he's not really sympathizing he's not really empathizing but he also like doesn't want to say that out loud you know right. and she does so i think he projects onto her and also there's that scene between him and uh and Brad Pitt's character where um you know Brad Pitt says like you know my dad left me too we're a generation of men raised by women is another man all we need is, right. or is another woman really what we need which is right. ironic because the mother is the person that stayed so like why are you turning right. around and punishing her like she's right. not the one that left but i think that's part of the movie is his his constant blame shifting because he blames 
you know, commercialism, and then he blames women, and then he, you know, he blames everybody. But in the end, every, every problem that he has is largely created by himself. And I think that's his like journey in the movie. So I, I never really saw him as misogynist at all. I think that, uh, I mean, I think that she definitely has some, uh, self-esteem problems i mean she's mm-hmm. suicidal and calls herself right. infectious human waste <laughs> lady has <Right>. some problems <laughs> but you'd have to 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 be with this guy and right. i think by the end she's what pulls him out of it i mean oh yeah you know yeah. he changes everything around pretty much for her which i don't know if that would really happen in real life but well um, yeah. he, he does in the movie so i yeah no i i never felt that she was picked on i think there's a really big difference between like, you know, I, I do consider myself a feminist, but just because I'm feminist doesn't mean I can't enjoy a movie about men and about men's issues, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this movie is about that, largely. And I can still relate to it, because like I said, there's some things about it that I really relate to, but um, I think that angle where it's pretty much all about struggling with identity and masculinity is really interesting. And so, yeah, I, I never saw her character as overly picked on or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Durden is, is horrible. He gets people right. killed, doesn't care when they die. Um, like you said, he's even worse in the book. So he, yeah. he's, he's pretty much a monster by the end of the movie. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But a he, damn cool one. He's so cool. <laughs> and I want him to like me. And like, let's go for a beer. And like, can I punch you? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for sure. <clears throat> um. So, okay, I'll just, we'll go ahead and talk about the twist. Okay, let's do it. Yes. It's yeah. Exciting. Uh, the, uh, so the twist is uh, that the narrator, who we'll call Jack, uh, and Tyler end up being the same person. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when that scene happened, like I said, I was sitting there and, and he turns around, he's in the hotel room, he turns around, and Tyler is sitting there. And I mean, my mind literally went blank. I mean, I just, I couldn't process it for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, how did he get there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, so is he a ghost, or what happened here? And then he he says, you know, uh, you know, I'm you. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh. And things started to click, but there's so much before this uh, that that gave it away. If that was so subtle that you were just like, okay, these guys just have a screwed up relationship. They have a screwed up relationship with uh, Marla. Uh, but then it was like, oh, you know, it was just like this wave of, of realization. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then it just, the movie went crazy from there. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was that, that twist was, and like I said, I usually, I spoil movies for myself and I didn't, I didn't for this one and it just blew me away. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I, when I talked to people about that twist, uh, they, uh, that was what they hated most. They found it, they found it unbelievable. And, I mean, and it is, but it, yeah, but, it is. But I don't think it's I mean, not unbelievable to Edward Norton's character, right? And it's, I mean, the movie is so really unbelievable to begin with, anyway. I mean, you know, just, uh, Marla walking out into the middle of a street with cars racing by to have a conversation. Still, you know, there's a lot of scenes in this movie. You're just like, okay, but it it fit into the movie for me and it wasn't, it wasn't unbelievable. It was like, okay, it's just another crazy part of this crazy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I think, so- I think it was really good because, uh, there's a lot of hints throughout the movie that the Jack is an unreliable narrator, that he's not showing you the full picture, but that at that moment you realize he's not at all. 
and uh, it's a very disorienting scene. I think that's another part of why it's so shocking is just the way that it's shot. And mm-hmm. how this whole world kind of melts down and they rewind and show you all these scenes again. It's unbelievable if he were a stable person. But because right. he's nuts, <laughs> right. and because you've seen everything from his perspective, literally, he narrates it, he shows you things, he tells you what's going on. For me, that's why it's okay. You know? Yeah, and and I think why it comes as such a shock, too, is Fincher didn't hand-feed it to you. Right. He didn't force it and go, okay, pay attention to this scene. That would have been a giveaway. Yes, it's there, but it's real subtle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you know it's one of those where you 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 go and you kick yourself for going oh well, you know why did I pick up on that the first time right. and uh, yeah so that was just for instance the other day I went back and watched it just in, in preparation for this and picked up on another clue that I didn't even pay attention to the first time and I had never noticed before is the scene where they they crash the car and and in that scene Edward Norton is sitting in the passenger seat. But when the car flips and it rolls over and they're in the, the, the ditch or whatever, Brad Pitt pulls Edward Norton out of the driver's seat. Mm. And uh, the commentary actually mentioned that. And they said when they were watching the movie, somebody said, oh, you have a major inconsistency there. Because Edward Norton, not knowing what the ending was, Edward Norton was sitting in the passenger seat, but you have him getting out of the driver's seat. And they laughed about that because that was intentional. Right. Just another subtle clue. So. Right. I think because the movie plays with reality so much, that's another reason why, like I said, you're looking at it from his perspective and it plays with reality a lot. So it's okay for it to have that big twist. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, when you go back and see all the subliminal messages in the movie and the inserts with uh, Tyler Durden that you see right. way before he appears, there's like four or five right. scenes where you see him for just like a second. Right. Um, did you catch that the first time? You saw oh yeah, it? I did. And I thought, well, the first time it happened, I thought, man, that was that was pretty bad. I can't believe they didn't catch that in post production. <laughs> where where he's standing? Yeah. I think the first one's in, he's uh, he's talking to his doctor and he's talking to the doctor in the hallway. And there's that quick blip of him. And I, mm-hmm. I turned to my friend. And I said, did you see that? And he's like, yeah. I said, I can't believe that that, that they didn't catch that when they were <laughs> when they were you know cut the movie. In the and brilliant- then after- oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, and the brilliant part is that they actually talk about splicing things into movies. Right, right. And about subliminal messages, and still right. it's kind of a surprise. So yeah. he, he, Fincher directly addresses you, the audience, with that concept, like, hey, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. And then the, the, the next two times, because the, the, the little subliminal blips happened two more times, and I was like, okay, so there, there's some significance there, but it was so fast, and I wasn't, wasn't knowing to watch for it that I, I didn't actually – catch who it was it was just a quick blip of, of a figure and i was like okay so i that's a guy in a jacket i don't know who that is and uh later when he starts when he when tyler goes to see marla i think it was that outfit i was like okay so that was tyler i don't get, get you know quite catch the connection there but so he was having some kind of vision of, of tyler ahead of time yeah and he talks about <laughs> how his insomnia is causing him to not be able to fully be in reality that things are a copy of a copy that right the you know that everything is surreal and so you're seeing that from his perspective and you're not picking up on that that might be more significant than that you know right he's telling you that he's having trouble with right. things like that but the insomnia is a clue um 
you know, there's many clues throughout the movie that, that he's Tyler Durden. Um, right. One of the biggest ones is when he uses all those fake names and Marla asks what his name is and you don't, he doesn't say it. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's your, what's your real name anyway? And then it cuts to the next scene right away. We never get an answer there. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and just people's reactions. Uh, Marla, every time she has a couple, the first couple times that she has a conversation with him after she stayed the night and, She's looking at him like, you know, what the hell are you talking about? You know, why? I don't understand why you're acting like this. And and uh, knowing for what she all she knows is that it's him. He's the only person that she's seeing. And this whole time he's thinking that, you know, there's this crazy relationship between the three of them. Right. So, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. She even says, you know, she's the way she reacts you think she's just like, oh, she's one of these girls that right. <laughs> she's dating my friend. Like, how dare she, you know? But then you later realize that's not, that's how he's reading it, but it's not what's happening. Um, right. It's more like, in her mind, he, like, basically calls her in the middle of the night to come over. And then the morning is like, get get out of here, you know? Right. And so right. she's reacting very naturally to it. And there's also that scene where she's like, who are you talking to? To yeah. Tyler, you know? And so she... She kind of picks up on it here and there, and she she tells him that there's something wrong with him. Yeah. But yeah, but it was that, and that's that's a testament to the film is is the audience. Uh, I didn't pick up on that. I just thought she was just a, a crazy girl. It's like yeah. okay, you're 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 a basket case. I don't know what he sees, what Tyler sees in you, what what narrator sees in you. Just you're annoying. Yeah. And and, and it was a testament because, like I said, you, you never pick up on it. Or I didn't. Maybe somebody else did, but I didn't. And uh, uh, just how good the the dialogue, the, the screenplay, and and the directing was. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's ironic yeah. because she's more in control than he is. Right. Again, he's like, "Oh, you're such a train wreck," but like, he's literally nuts. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. yeah. And and you don't realize that until the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so. Oh man, there was just so much about this movie. Um, the music was so – I mean the music fit perfectly too because it was so chaotic. It mm-hmm. would go from from some slow uh, some slow song to uh, like the chemical burn scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he pours the lie on, on, on the narrator's hand and there's this kind of, you know, almost alarm sounding song going on in the background. And then he, he tries to think of the trees and it's just, you know – Quiet medley for like a split second, and then you know, right back to the blaring alarm. It was just, yeah. <laughs> it was boring. <laughs> it's a really good scene. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I agree. Yeah. I really like the music. I like the opening theme too. Yeah, and the that, ending theme, like both yeah. of them. Yeah, that was uh, that opening scene was pretty crazy too, because um, it starts off for for just a, a quick second. It's just kind of like this light melody, and then you know, boom. Uh, electronic kind of heavy beat electronic music as it kind of follows down the neural pathways and the transition from his mind to the barrel of the gun. Uh, and you know, he's, he's talking about how he got there and, and the whole movie ultimately ends up being a flashback. <laughs> right. But it's interesting because even that, even it's starting when the inside of his brain is sort of a clue that you don't pick right. up on. Right. Cause you're just kind of like, Oh, this is kind of a weird kooky opening. But then oh, when you go yeah. back and look at it again, you're like, oh. Yeah, and, and one of the first lines, I know this because Tyler knows this. Yep, that's true. So, yep. 
Yeah, I, I, my favorite movies. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I've seen it a lot, and uh, in more recent years, I've heard people say, you know, kind of some of the stuff you had concerns about that it was misogynistic. That uh, I, I think there's a reading of the movie that like he's just like overprivileged and deserving, and you know what I mean, and like mm -hmm. he just he just thinks it's okay for him to do all these things and act like this. But I think if you view it that way, you're not understanding the movie itself, you know, mm. because right. on some level, you know, I do think that the, the character, uh, Jack, for lack of a better word, is really lost, but he is also sort of caught up in himself. And that's why he's not able to see like objectively, like he does at the end of the movie. I think once he starts really relating to people, once he steps a little bit outside of himself, he's, you know, he has a different perspective, but I think that's pretty normal for young people, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, right. I, I relate to that a lot. So I don't view him as like some kind of misogynistic monster or something. <laughs> I think right. that's the wrong reading. Right. Well, you know, he, he, he gets wrapped up in the message and yeah. uh, not realizing what consequences that message has. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and realizing that, you know, maybe in the end he didn't actually have it so bad. So <laughs> Right. And like Tyler sells this idea that like all we have to do is free ourselves from consumerism and our jobs and everything. But it's right. like and that means be a slave to him and his ideals. Right. And like literally recreate the same thing if not worse. Right. It's like so if you can't yeah, so if you don't see it from that perspective then I guess, but it's pretty clearly there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What are some of your other favorite scenes in the movie? Um, I really like the um, uh, the just absolute craziness of the scene where uh, the bar owner Lou comes down. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean that, that's that's a that's a great scene of, of seeing Brad go crazy. It is. Uh, it is where he's just you know ah and he's, he's yelling all the blood's flying off of his mouth. Although. Uh, that scene actually, there's there's a couple other very subtle tells in there. Um, Edward Norton reacts in the background when he's in the scene. He's not the focus, but if you watch in the background, when Lou hits Brad in the face and then kicks him, each time Brad, I mean uh, not Brad, uh, Edward Norton reacts as if he had been hit or kicked. Ah, and I yeah. mean it kind of mirrors. There's a couple scenes that mirror it. His first fight scene with Durden, but also his the scene with uh his boss is kind of like that scene too yeah i mean they all yeah. kind of parallel each other and i think your first reading of it is that he's copying but then later you realize no he's just right it's him yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that is a good scene um there's a lot of scenes uh the the scene where he's talking about he says uh, uh and it's just because of the visual effect uh when he's talking about uh, you're not your car, you're not your, you know, we're the all-knowing, all-seeing crap of the universe, and if the film looks like it's getting off track, yeah, uh, that that was just a, a very stylistically cool scene, and there's a lot of those in there um, that I can't say the the actual what was going on in the scene was what got me. It was just the way it was shot or what was happening. Um, I like the uh, the scenes where he is talking about meeting Tyler for the first or what Tyler did for jobs where, you know, he's, he's, he was a film splicer and he was a waiter and it's, he's narrating and it's showing what Tyler's doing in the background. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh, just very, very cool stylistic scenes uh, like that. So, <clears throat> totally agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, just, and again, Fincher 
washing out everything so it's a dark movie even when there were bright spots you know like when it was daylight outside it looked cloudy and overcast and uh a lot of the color came off of tyler he always had yeah he had a a lot of you know his his jackets were bright and his clothes were bright and so uh you know obviously pay attention to this character you know like this is an important character um i'd have to go back and watch it but i actually think near the end his clothes dulled Hmm, i have to go back and watch yeah i don't remember them being quite as bright because he shaves his head uh he looks more pale I have to go back and watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't quote me on that one, but no, I think. No, but I do think he looks like part of shaving his head too. I feel like it makes him look less appealing, like more, yeah. like more unhinged, more yeah. off the rails. Like he just. Yeah, and he, he he's grown a mustache and a beard, but it's not trimmed or 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 it's you know it's just kind of growing out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he he definitely takes on that less appealing look at the end once. Right, it's right when the reveal is. Up to that point, he's still got the the cool hair and the cool sunglasses, and and the moment the reveal happens, he's there in a in a uh, tank top and a uh, I think like a fur jacket and yep. catch. <laughs> so nineties. Yeah, yeah, I think too. It's like as he's realizing slowly that he's losing control, you know, because uh, Edward Norton is going to become the more dominant personality, or at least he wants to. He's not right. going along with it anymore. He's challenging it. Right. Um, and so I think as that happens, maybe his character is sort of becoming more, more and more unstable as he thinks his time might be coming to an end, you know, right. but he doesn't play it that way. He plays it like he's completely in control and that, you know, he needs him. But in the end, he, he's, I think he's realizing that he, he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, what did you think about, I remember a scene that struck me a lot. I didn't know who the actor was at the time, but uh, that scene with uh, Angel Face where he yeah. wrecks his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like especially at that time, if you knew who he was, I think a lot of guys wanted to punch Jerry Leto. So. <laughs> I don't know if that's changed much. I don't... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I thought he was pretty good casting, at least for that role. And, you know, when he says that part. I mean, 17-year-old me was like, what a genius line. I want to destroy something beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's all, I think in the book, I don't. Th- I think this is a difference in the book. There's a lot of differences in the book that I haven't, we're not going to go over every single difference. But right. um, I think in the, in the movie, his catalyst of wanting to beat him up is just jealousy because he's, you know, Tyler Durden is paying more attention to him and he's worried that he's going to yeah. be eclipsed. And that leads into that scene. But yeah. it just kind of uh, stood out to me. I think in the movie, I think it's supposed to play more as uh, he's frustrated that Tyler and Marla have a relationship, and he's just frustrated and just wants and looking to take it out on somebody. That's how yeah. I read it on that one, which is similar to the book, but different because the reason for aggression is is slightly different. Yeah. So, uh, but well, yeah, that was a brutal scene. Yeah, yeah. The <clears> violence <throat> in this movie, it's like. You know, you know, people seeing this movie and going, "Oh, I want to, you know, start a fight club." I guess maybe mm-hmm. I'm a wimp, but you know, seeing the uh, the violence in this movie does not make me want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to get hit. You know, it doesn't look fun. I mean, the the movie doesn't necessarily make violence look fun. It right. looks it's gory, and you know, the characters right. take a long time to recover as much as right. they claim it's giving uh, them 
Like I think, yeah, I think yeah. that's why that movie got so much grief for its violence. I, I don't think the movie itself is any more violent than any other number of violent movies. I think the difference is is that I don't want to say it's realistic, but you know the each the the the, the fighting was pretty visceral. Yeah. I mean it 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 you know the the punches look painful and 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 like you said in a movie usually a violent movie there'll be uh, the hero has like a, a scrape or a cut or something. You know, everybody that was in these fights in these movies walked out and they had broken noses and they had, you know, bruised eyes and lacerations and everybody looked like they'd been in a fight. And uh, I, I think that bothered a lot of people because it was just a reminder, a constant reminder of the violence in the movie. Yeah. And the sound, uh, too. Like yeah, the sounds yeah. of the, the crunches and yeah. squishes. Like it's it's difficult, you know, to, yeah. to listen to. It's pretty. Yeah, it, it was so in your face. You know, uh, most movies have a violent scene and then it's over. You move on to something else. But it was like they were constantly reminding you yeah. of, of the fighting and the, the you know, so. Yeah. <clears throat> also, uh, the scene where, see, I think I just lost it. I thought I had it pulled up here. Um, what did you think of the scene with uh, the waiters when they pull that guy that's investigating them into the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I think that part I really related to as a young person because I had jobs like that. <laughs> yeah. So like don't mess, you know, don't mess with the people serving you your food. Yeah. It's that, it's that, <clears throat> that, that damn the man mentality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess everyone, I'll just go through that phase where, you know, we want to get, we want to get our boss. We want to get our manager. We want to get the people that are, you know, keeping us down. Um, uh, you know, some of us may still have that, <laughs> depending on jobs and work. You know, yeah. I'm gonna get that guy sometime. Um, yeah, I. Uh, that's uh, when they started threatening people that were outside the the club. You know, that was kind of a, another turning point in the movie where you, it's, sure. it's gone beyond just being a fight club and, and becoming something a little bit more out of control. Also, the threat of like, you know castration like literally yeah. emasculating everything yeah. is about for tyler like everything is about being a man is that what a man looks like right you know does that what a man does and you know we're right. men men is what we are like it, it's i think it's when edward norton's character's like wait a minute this yeah. is way further than i wanted to go this is not this is not actually what i wanted right um, right what do you think of the line in the beginning of the movie where he says he realized that this all had something to do with Marla Singer. Like, what do you think, what do you think that means? Um, well, a lot of it did, uh, kind of hinge on her. Um, at first, uh, she, she disrupted his, uh, way of, I guess, of dealing with, with stress or whatever it was that was keeping him, uh, awake at night. Mm -hmm. So by yeah. showing up at the meetings, she disrupted that. And then, uh, the relationship that forms between her and Tyler later on, uh, you know, he has issue with that. And then ultimately it was her that kind of pulled him out of that in yeah. a way. Yeah. So it's, it's like an objective person. She's the only person in his life outside of him and Tyler that has any real input because I right. feel like nobody else in his life really has a, has a connection to him. Like, even Meatloaf's character or any of the other members of Project Mayhem, he doesn't really 
connect with people. She's like the only person he really connects with other than Tyler. And then of right. course he realizes that Tyler's just him. Right. Um, I do think it's interesting though, that even before she shows up, there are hints of Tyler. So while she may be somewhat of a catalyst, I mean, it does seem like he was kind of already heading down that path. I agree. Right. It was definitely ramped up when he, at least in his mind was still having trouble sleeping. There's a, there's a, a time lapse there at the beginning of the movie and it, it doesn't really say how well, maybe it does but there was a time lapse there where he was going to the meetings and he was getting his sleep and uh and, and life was kind of back to normal and they don't really play on that because you know it skips to that scene pretty quickly yeah um but uh right then um the uh it, it goes from when he goes to the meetings and says he's sleeping like a baby and then boom, it goes to Marla screwing it all up. But That's I true. got the yeah. I got the idea that there was a fairly significant amount of time, a few weeks or, or a month or so, that, that he was coping just by going to these uh groups and uh and getting the sleep and was uh, you know, quote, normal. Mm-hmm. So um the first time, the first time he sees Tyler is in the hospital when he's telling the doctor, you know, I need to get some sleep, and I go to sleep, and I wake up in strange places. I don't know how I got there. Uh, <laughs> the second time is when he goes to his first meeting, um, and he's talking about how he's in the testicular cancer group. And then the next time he shows up is when Marla disrupts, starts showing up at the meetings consistently, and that's the third time that you get that quick little blip of, of Tyler mm-hmm. in the alleyway. And then he meets him in the airplane, I think a couple scenes after that. So Gotcha. Yeah. That's interesting. That timeline. I, yeah. I noticed too, watching that movie. I mean, he hints that he has lapses. I mean, when he right. says that, you know, he wakes up in strange places and it's funny how dismissive the doctor is <laughs> that like, yeah. if you yeah. told your doctor, like, Hey, sometimes I wake up and I'm like in another place. I feel like they would say, Oh, uh, <laughs> let me refer you to someone else. But I guess, Maybe that's sort of just a hint that everyone in his life, even the doctor, like just does not care about him right. and is not listening to him. Right. And so he just he's desperately looking for someone to listen to him. And, he, you know, there's even that line that when people think you're dying, they really listen um, instead of waiting for their turn to speak, which I think is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, he was looking for that. So I guess I guess that's why. But I. I always think like on repeat viewings, like that's kind of funny that the doctor's just like, oh, well, uh, and, just, just exercise. Right. You know? Yeah. And he says, you know, you can't die from a lack of sleep. Well, you actually can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like jerked back at that. I was like, well, I don't yeah. it's, it sounds like he's just too busy. He doesn't want to deal with it. Right. Like, I don't really care if you die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about like the whole soap thing, their whole soap company? Um. You know, I didn't read much too much into that. That's uh, uh, although it is interesting. Uh, that is one of the differences from the book and the uh, movie is that in the book, it's actually Marla's mother's fat that she keeps stored because she wants to have um, having fat injections. So in the book, it's it's just another insult to Marla. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, she keeps it in the freezer or the fridge or something, and and, and Tyler takes it to make the soap. 
That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, know, it yeah. like makes less sense, I think, than the liposuction factory. <laughs> yeah. And the whole so, like selling their their fat asses back to them is kind of right. again a commercialism thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, in in the movie, it, it, that is a very funny scene. Uh, but it, just another right, another hit at uh, on consumerism. Yeah, it's so gross too when the. Yeah, the, the fat drips out. Oh, I was watching the behind the scenes where they were like testing how that would look, and it's just funny to think because I mean, you know, you, you go back and watch behind the scenes, and it's all special effects, and they have to think about like how do we make how do we do this? How yeah. do we make this look like fat? And oh, it's just so gross. Yeah, um, but yeah, that, that just ties into the whole consumerism theme again. Which I mean, that I don't know that that actually ever. That always that was kind of a, a ring true type of uh, message that I don't ever actually think changed from. It, it never twisted. Right. I think that I think that that is a, a very real message that you know you end up being the things that you that you own or the things that own things you own end up owning you. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, I think that's a very real message too, uh, and, and not one that got twisted in you know Tyler's grand scheme. No, uh, no. And I think, like, uh, the the idea that consumerism was sort of becoming, like, a surrogate for masculinity, for his identity, like, they, they show that a lot in the movie, how it's sort of replacing right. that in him, like, how he's, he says, you know, which, uh, which things that he buys in his um, apartment, like, exemplify him, and right. they even, I never noticed this before, but one of those clips I sent you, they said the way that he looks at the catalog, like, I guess like the way like a, he's holding it, like a pinfold. like a centerfold, like a centerfold, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, gosh, you know, I never noticed that. <laughs> like, I, I, I think that's very, you know, that does kind of ring true. But like I said, I think the older you get, the more you're like, it's not so bad. <laughs> Things could be worse. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it definitely it rings true a lot when you're younger too. And um, there's like you know Starbucks coffee cups in every scene, and they're really hitting hard on it, you know, in this movie. Yeah, and they and never I, really let up. If I were to be honest, I don't know that that this movie didn't in some way change my way of thinking. Um, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, because I was, I think I was kind of the target audience, you know, age demographic for for that movie. Sure. Um, I because I remember being the the guy that had to have, you know, the video game on the first day it came out and had to have the latest and greatest system and had to have the latest and greatest TV and. Uh, and I don't know if it was the movie, if it was age, maybe a combination of both. Um, I, you know, I just I got to the point where I realized that I, I didn't need to have the best of everything. You know, it it it, it didn't make me any uh, better or worse a person based mm-hmm. on what kind of TV I had or what kind of game system I had or you know. And uh, um, I, I I can't you know I it's so long ago that I don't know that I can attribute it specifically to that movie, but I, I think that that message did kind of stick with me. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, it exemplifies it because it, I think it is part of that transition too. I think, you know, there's always that like joke that as you get older, you don't care what anyone thinks. Right. But when you're his age or when you're younger, you're, you're pretty trapped by how other people see you right. and how other people see you is the clothes you're wearing, the stuff that you're buying, right. the things that you own. So, I mean, I think it could be both those things. Yeah. I mean, like so. I said, I related to it too, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Um, but but yeah, I, I do I do like that about the movie, and I do think like I don't know. I just I think it's interesting the way that they he he communicated that, and I was reading that like Fincher, you know, like a lot of directors during this time, he kind of got his start uh, doing advertising and um, music videos. Yeah. And you could really see that stylistically, I think, especially yeah. in his earlier stuff. But, um, right. you know, I think on some level, part of that message has got to be him talking about that, you know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, he wants to make art and, but also to make money. And so, sure. you know, I'm sure that resonates with him too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, I think and I think that there are other messages in there Fight Club is one of those movies you if you really want to get everything out of it you have to take it apart yeah I, agree. I mean you can, you can go in there and go okay yeah oh, it was a cool movie about dudes fighting um, <laughs> but you're you're really missing the point of the movie there's there's so much going on in that movie uh, you know on screen and behind the scenes as far as messages that you really do have to take it apart, dissect it too, because there are there are some very real messages in that movie. But you know, if you don't pay attention, they can get lost in the fighting and the chaos that's going on there. And that, maybe that's a message in and of itself, you know. <laughs> for sure. And I think, like for me, like when I was younger, at the very end of the movie, I remember feeling that. I think you know, at the time, at the the age that I was, I was kind of. Uh, a little less social, was kind of a, a little bit of a loner, a little angry, you know, all those mm-hmm. things that the character is, and, and but a little lonely too. And I think that I realized from watching that movie, maybe, like you said, not just from this movie, but one of the things that I thought about when I watched it was, it's funny how, in a way, Tyler thinks that if he gets away from all of society, if he gets away from everything systemic, that he's going to be free but this, there's this desire that like human beings have to, to recreate it anyway. So like mm-hmm. even once he gets outside of all that, he gets in that dilapidated house, away from his perfect apartment, he gets away from his job, but he winds up recreating that same situation all over again. Right. This time it's worse. But um, I thought, you know, that's how people are. It's like there's part of us that wants to, to get away from everything. But even when we do, we just start over. Right. You know, we right. Just we create another society. We can't exactly. get away from that. Yeah. Right. You know, everybody wants their individuality, but at the end of the day, they also want to be part of something. Yeah. Uh, there, there is no, there is no way for. I, I don't. It, it's just not human nature to be completely in solitude. We can't. We go crazy. So you know, we we want our individual rights and opinions and and and. Uh, thought but at the same time we want those individual opinions and thoughts to be validated by others yeah yeah, yeah so that's, that's true <laughs> so, <laughs> deep thoughts <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh, but yeah no i agree i think i think that uh some people see this movie and they see it i think stylistically and just uh you know all the fighting and all the anarchy talk and they focus on that and they don't see i think the deeper message that's happening in the movie and right. so I kind of get it sometimes when I, I, I have told some movie snobs that this is one of my favorite movies and they've been kind of like, I don't get it, you know, and, yeah. and I think I think that's what it is. They're not seeing what you're talking about. If you if you dissect it and take it apart, there's a lot more levels to it than just what's on the surface. Right. Totally. Yep. Um, I don't know. Can you think of any other scenes that you wanted to discuss? No. Um, 
Just go watch the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go to our last couple of questions along that vein. Okay. Uh, what do you think keeps you coming back to this movie? Like, why have you seen it so many times? Uh, like I said, it, it, to me, it, it's it's a perfect movie. It's one of those rare instances of a perfect movie. Uh, with the music, the cinematography, the, the dialogue, it, it is a very funny movie. Um, you know, even with the, the message and everything that's going on. Um, there is that... Um, you know, it, it is a it is a man's movie. Um, you know, it, it addresses what it's what it's like to to be a man to have grown up during that time period. Uh, you know, it's it's almost nostalgic for me at this point because I can remember what I was like when I saw this movie, sure. uh, and, and see how I've grown as a person from you know uh, from being that that angry young guy to being a a, a happy man, and. Uh, uh, Another part of it is is that it's one of those movies, like I said just the other day, I just noticed that, you know, Edward Norton coming out of the driver's movie, there's always something you can pick up, uh, something you might have missed or, or, you know, another train of thought after seeing it again because there's, there's just so much going on in the movie. <clears throat> I completely agree. I think uh, I kind of talked about this a little bit in last week. We were talking about The Shining. Um, a lot of my favorite directors and a lot of my favorite movies are very visual. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes people see that as, you know, oh, this movie's just stylistic. It's not mm-hmm. not deeper than that. But sometimes I think it can actually be deeper than just explaining it to you because you're having you're being shown something and you're having to kind of like draw your own conclusion. What's right. unique about this movie is that it's so fast. I don't think movies this visual are usually this quick, you know? Right. Um, there's never really a lull in this film. It, it, it constantly, it's like a train that you're on that's just constantly moving. Yeah. Um, and the pacing, the, the uh, I guess, franticness of it is part of that. Um, right. It, it's not just a stylistic choice. It's actually part of the theme of the movie, which I think is really smart. Um, uh, it, it's definitely one of my favorite films. I think at the time when I saw it, I was at such an impressionable age that it really started to, it was one of the films that kind of shaped uh, the kinds of movies that I like. And most of the movies that I like tend to be psychological and tend to be visual and mm-hmm. immersive. And I think this movie has all those things. Yeah. Um, and I think it touches on kind of like what you're saying, even though I don't relate as much to the masculinity part, I definitely relate to, you know, society showing us a picture of what we're supposed to be like. And when you don't meet that expectation, when you don't look like that, when you don't have that job, when you don't fit in, it's, it's painful, you know, it's painful not to fit in. It's painful not to fit the mold and that desire to find a new group that does accept you and and something that you do fit in and become a part of, I think is really relatable for everybody, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, what would you say to someone that's never seen this movie before? Um, gosh, I, well, anybody that hasn't seen this movie before, I hope that they don't know how it ends. Um, if, if they do, don't let that dissuade you from seeing it because, uh, the, while the twist is, is, is a nice touch, it's, it, it doesn't really, that's not the story. It doesn't, right. it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, yeah, it, it's, don't go into it uh, just thinking that that's that's the gimmick because it's not. Everybody will always talk about that as as being the you know oh you know it's, it was him the whole time, but that's like saying you know uh, that 
spoiler, Rosebud was the sled. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's not the story. Um, go in and, and watch it and, and have an open mind. Uh, don't, don't try and just watch it as a, as some guys fighting and then all hell breaks loose. Um, take a look at each scene and, and, and really, you know, look into the messages that are actually there that, that are just kind of buried under all that. Sure. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, it, it's a pop culture icon at this point. It's uh, oh, yeah. definitely uh, more of a cult following type movie. And I think one of the hallmarks of that is that movies like this tend to get misunderstood a lot. Um, and that's part of what makes them not huge commercial successes. And mm-hmm. kind of like you said, people are really divided at the end of watching it. But I think, I think you should go in and then make your own decision at the end as to how you read it, what you get out of it. But I think you should at least see it. I mean, if, oh, you, yeah. if you really like movies, uh, I think this is something you've got to see. And uh, it, it's really interesting to see the way I think Fincher 2 has grown as a director. Like, this was when he was fresh and new, a little more so to me. It was more stylistic. It was more uh, shocking and, and brave and kind of, uh, you know, he took chances. Mm-hmm. I like that about this film. So I think I think if that's something you know you're interested in, um, it's definitely something that you would want to see. All right. Well, Charles, you have to come back, okay, um, and and bring another movie because this is really fun. Um, do you want to? Pl- do you have any plugs? Like, where can people find you and reach out to you? And- um, if you want to, uh, I, I don't. Uh, my social media is uh, really more geared towards my cosplay. You can find me on Facebook at um, Chax Productions. That's C H A K S Productions, uh, but uh, that's uh, this is really my first foray into anything that's not cosplay as far as social media goes. So, oh no worries. Um, you know, we barely talked about that, but uh, I think I, I, I saw you know your Pennywise costume is awesome. I was checking that out Thank on you. Twitter. You know, I've seen I've seen you in person before. We've met a few times, but uh, um, I think my favorite costume you have, though, honestly, for me, just personal favorite, is uh, your Judge Dread. Oh yeah, super. Big yeah. fan of that. So, thanks. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, I was gonna say like you need to put some of that on Twitter because I, I didn't see any pictures of that. I was gonna retweet. Yeah, I. Uh, the, the only thing I've done, I just re- recently reopened my Twitter account, which is also Tax Productions, um, and, and put Pennywise up there. I hadn't thought to put any of my older stuff up there. So, but yeah, I could certainly do that. That's that's not a bad idea. Yeah, because I think people would really, especially like if if they're into movies, they probably be really excited about that is your forgive me for not having like a really big vocabulary on the judge designs but is that like from the newer movie or are you basing it off the comic or the older movie it, it is based off of the 2012 dread which is the carl urban one uh people in the judge dread cosplay community don't really talk about the sylvester stallone one it's <laughs> i do not blame them i remember <laughs> it, when actually, that came out and people were like i hope it's as good as the original movie and i was like oh yeah it will be. <laughs> uh, the sylvester stallone dread was actually closer to the comic book style um but the movie was so bad that yeah it's kind of shunned and now they're they're working on a television series uh the company that actually produces the judge dread comic is working on a television series uh and they're saying that it's supposed to get more get back to the you know oversized shoulder pads and the more comic book look oh gotcha yeah so that'll probably make a comeback and if that does then i'll probably uh get rid of the the 2012 dread and move towards the more exaggerated uh 
Judge Dredd style. So. Well, I love that 2012 movie. I didn't realize it oh, came out great. in 2012. It, it seems like a, it feels like it just came out, but you're right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that that's you know that could be an option for you to talk about too, because <laughs> sure. I really yeah, love that I'm, movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I, uh, I I'm a, I'm a sucker for post-apocalyptic uh, kind of uh, after disaster type movies like Dread and Mad Max and anything like that. Now, those are those are usually my go-to movies. So well, hey, the end of this movie kind of ends that way. So yeah. yep. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so so thanks so much. I'll post links of your social media accounts so people can check out your costumes Great. or if they have any questions. And uh, again, thanks so much. Uh, have a good night. All right, you too. All right, bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I had such a blast recording this episode with Charles. Fincher is one of my favorite directors, and I'm sure this won't be the last of his films we discuss. Uh, if you guys have any feedback on this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And I'm also in our close Facebook group. I love that movie. Our group is closed, but you could just send me a request and I'll add you. It's a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment free. Uh, my only rule is keep it positive. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate to the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Right now, guys, again, we're one review away. One review away from 15. So uh, once I hit 15, I'm going to draw a name. Uh, everybody loves free monies, and this is kind of like my way of giving back to you guys for supporting me. Uh, once again, thank you so much, and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Bye.